This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Is cryptocurrency and the blockchain technology that underlies it complete and total vapor? This is the Beyond Politics podcast, which is available wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube on the Blue Amp channel. I'm Matt Robeson with my co-host, former U.S. Congressman Paul Hodes. Well, 2022, as many people have seen, was the year of the crypto crash. Bitcoin, the most recognizable cryptocurrency, dropped to 25% of its previous value. The $32 billion cryptocurrency exchange FTX imploded among charges of fraud, not to mention a run of business failures, including more cryptocurrencies called Terra and Luna. The trading platform Voyager, a crypto hedge fund called Three Arrows Capital, BlockFi, Celsius. Oh, yeah. And all those non-fungible tokens, those NFTs, bored apes. Yeah, they evaporated too. All except for Donald Trump's superhero NFTs. Those sold out, proving that the universe really is a cold and dark place. But cryptocurrencies and NFTs are just the tip of the iceberg. They're built on a technology called blockchain that true believers there are a stunning number of them say will revolutionize the world and solve everything from banking to healthcare to law. The question many of us have been wondering for years is, is this all bullshit? Well, a few years back, that question was actually on the mind of one of the most powerful business leaders on earth. In 2016, Andy Jassy, then the CEO of Amazon Web Services, now CEO of all of Amazon, approached our guest and asked him to answer it. As for what happened next, that's what Tim Bray is here to tell us all about. Tim is a Canadian software developer, environmentalist, political activist, and for our nerd friends, one of the co-authors of the original XML specification. He worked for Amazon Web Services from December 2014 until May 2020 when he quit due to concerns term whistleblowers. Tim, welcome to Beyond Politics. Delighted to be here. Well, we're absolutely delighted to have you and I know that this is a, a topic that for many people, it's a little, it's a little nerve wracking to enter into it because it feels like, it feels like you're getting a math test. You have to talk about technology issues. This is not a technology show. I promise we're not going to lose people with long technical explanations, but just to make sure we've all got the basic idea in mind, I'm going to try this out as a non-technology person and you can correct me. The idea here is that blockchain when you hear blockchain, just think ledger. Just picture Robert Cratchit entering things in a ledger with Ebenezer Scrooge looking over his shoulder. It's just I'm a bunk. way of, of keeping track of things. That's all it is, just like writing down in a book. But with blockchain, you're writing it down in a ledger that everyone can see, that computers share and maintain, and that's super encrypted. So the upshot is you don't need an institution to create trust when you're doing a transaction, you can trust the blockchain to keep track of everything. All right, that was my attempt. I'm going to be really embarrassed if I got that like badly wrong, but Tim Bray, how did I do? 
Oh, that's not bad. That's not bad. The the point that's probably worth expanding on is not just Bob writing entries on the ledger. You can have thousands or millions of entities writing entries on a ledger all at the same time without having a central coordinator. And that was really the, the new thing that blockchain offered was all these parties didn't have to trust each other. They didn't have to have any courts in charge to decree who had the right to to read or write it all just worked automatically and that was hadn't been done before so it was it was interesting to us technologists when it came along so in theory there sounds like an awful lot you could do with technology like that a shared instantaneous ledger without an overseer to regulate and get in the way so is that what started getting people so excited say 10 years ago well, two things. First of all, it's not instantaneous at all, which turns out to be one of the big problems. What I think actually got people excited was the initial notion of a cryptocurrency, a kind of money that was of and of the net. It didn't exist other than on the net and could be used to buy and sell things, do commerce in effect, and also unique in that it was not controlled by any government anywhere. So it was actually the money aspect that got people's attention. And I would argue that's still kind of the case. A technologist like me might be impressed by some of the te technical elegance of some of the blockchain stuff, but most of the people who are actually in there, in my opinion, are all about the money. really want to pick up on the story that you started telling on your blog, which is called Ongoing, which is a great read. You talk about how you got pulled into a close look at all of this in 2016. Now, am I, under, am I understanding right? It all started with a meeting with Andy Jassy. Sure. Yeah. So what happened was I was one of the senior technologists at Amazon Web Services. They have a system in the big tech companies where you can get to VP rank without actually having anybody work for you. And that's called like distinguished engineer or principal engineer or, or something like that. And so there's a scattering of those across all the big techs. And I was one of those at, at AWS. So what happened was I got an, a message saying, okay, you need to come to an Andy meeting. I can't remember whether it was face-to-face -face or, or on screen in 2016. And there was, there was myself there and three others like me, senior individual contributor technologists. And, and Andy was really quite eloquent about it. He says, I'm in meetings with our major customers. And, and I have to emphasize when, when AWS is talking about customer obsession, they're not kidding. So it was a very large part of Andy's job to spend time talking to the customers who are a pretty broad sample of the biggest operations in business and government and nonprofit and so on. So he was really, really well exposed to the current concerns and issues facing people like that. Anyhow, so he says to us, so these people are, are hitting me with this question. What are you doing about blockchain? Everybody says blockchain is strategic. Everybody says blockchain is the future that is going, that's going to obsolete everything else. So what's AWS's story? And he says, and, and I, I keep drilling down on them and saying, what are you going to do with blockchain? And the answers are very vague, but it's going to be really important and change everything. And, and I don't really have a good answer for these people. And not, not just me, us business leaders need to have a good answer for those people. So can you fellas go away and figure out what the problem is and what this opportunity is, what we should do about it? Now, very delightfully in your blog, you write that there was sort of a dead giveaway in the way Andy worded that, that, that outreach to you guys. Now, here's my question to you. Do you want to reveal to all of our viewers and listeners what that dead giveaway is now? Or do you want to tease it and see if they spotted it and then we'll circle back to it later? 
let's leave that on the plate for a moment and, and All right. maybe some of the people listening to this can put some mental cycles into that on the background but yeah there, there there's a pretty dead giveaway in, yeah in if you narrative. so hit that rewind button on your pod like go back about a minute ago to what tim was just saying and see if you can see if you can pick it out it was it was interesting and i didn't see it the first time either so tim as i understand it you're sitting with this group of extraordinarily accomplished very senior technology experts. Andy Jassy, this is AWS, the server for the world. And you take a look at this and people, and then everybody says, so we think it's mostly BS. But but still, even though it was BS, I mean, it was Andy Jassy asking you this question and you committed to take a closer look. So you took a deep dive into it. Tell us what did you find? And at the time that you were looking at it, were there any working applications out there? I mean, applications that actually worked. Well, so we went out and started talking to people. And what we discovered was that whereas there was a lot of talk, you put your finger on it, it was really hard to find actual working applications, things that were actually in production, people being paid to use them or, or anything. But every vendor we talked to said, oh yeah, we've got this stuff, it's ready to go, it's regulated approved, it's production quality, fake, this is real. And this one story kept coming back to us. So the Australian Stock Exchange decided to bet their entire future on blockchain. And they've got this technology they're building that's gonna be a, a blockchain driven operation and they're gonna switch over any day now. The other thing we found out was that whatever we thought or whatever Andy might think is the venture capitalists thought blockchain was the greatest thing since sliced bread. The amount of venture capital investment that was going into blockchain was just absolutely mind-boggling. These are big, big numbers. The other thing we found out is was that AWS was already making a lot of money off blockchain mm. because all these startups that were going to save the world with blockchain were building infrastructure and they didn't buy the data centers or build data centers or anything like that. They did it all on the sure. cloud. So Google, we and Google were getting a lot of money from people taking this venture cap money and building the blockchain infrastructure in the cloud. So all this was interesting, no real applications, but it was pretty clear that to the white hot center of this was in the world of what they call DeFi, decentralized finance. And the, if there were, if this thing was going to get hold and change the world, it seemed highly likely that it would be in Manhattan in in london in in hong kong the places where the big money was doing the big capital work and so one of our outreaches was to our sales organization in 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 the finance sector and they lit up when, when they heard from us and saying yes 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 we got the same problem as andy everybody's coming to the door and saying well, what are we doing in blockchain because all the bankers are thinking well it must be the next big thing and so that seemed like the white hot center of the problem there right on on in manhattan I just want to read that back to you because this is the moment where like I got kind of this skin crawling, the emperor has no clothes feeling to it. And I'm wondering if my emotional reaction to your writing was the same reaction you were having at the time six, seven years ago. It just feels to oh, me Oh, absolutely, like 100%. Disclosure, I made quite a bit of money buying and selling Bitcoin back in 2013 and so on. I think I finally sold them in Mazel 2017. Tov. Yeah, right. And so I, I'd taken the trouble to dive in and I actually understood how the technology worked and, and, and so did the other people on, in, in this in this conversation. And and I just couldn't see it. I, I, I couldn't see why it was so important because I could not figure out what useful thing blockchain actually did. It, it, it's technologically ele elegant. 
and, and uh, but then what does it do? Give me a, a one sentence description of, of something useful that it does. And I just couldn't get that. And then also as an environmentalist, I, I was worried because blockchain historically has been incredibly inefficient in terms of the amount of power it takes to generate a, a Bitcoin. So as somebody who's worried about the climate catastrophe coming at us, that made me very unhappy too. Now to be fair, some branches of the blockchain industry have, have cracked that nut and are now running more efficiently. But Bitcoin isn't, Bitcoin is still burning forests all the time. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. Paul, you were a member of the Financial Services Committee in the U.S. Congress right after the big Wall Street crash that led to the Great Recession 2008-2009. And this was really well captured in the book and the movie, The Big Short, where you've got a few people running around and they're talking to all these Wall Street people and all these Wall Street people are just kind of casually throwing around literally trillions of dollars saying like, oh yeah, this, this is the thing. Mezzanine CDOs, that's, that's the way to go. It's all AAA rated and no one's looking too deeply inside it. And the people who look more deeply inside it are like, it's just filled with, I, I, I might have to bleep this on YouTube. It's just filled with shit. It's, it's all like, there's, there's no there there. And so I'm just wondering again, like maybe Paul, maybe you had this reaction when you were looking at this after the fact as, as an investigator, as part of the oversight committee and the financial services committee, like that, that all these wall street people were doing this. It's just, it's amazing to me that you can have all these smart, sharp, accomplished people. This is their business. This is their job. And if you get some people who it isn't their, they don't have a vested financial interest in kind of like making the fantasy get propped up. They actually just want to look at it for the reality of what's there. I mean, it, it, I just can't imagine that you weren't feeling a certain sense of like, oh my gosh, what is wrong with all these people? Are they all, are they all deluded together? A very quick bit of perspective from the Congressional Committee on Financial Services and oversight of the financial system. When I got to Congress, I was amazed because I hadn't been deep into the financial system, but I was amazed at what I saw as dysfunction and lack of communication among all the different agencies that were supposed to regulate the financial system. That was my initial impression, quickly followed by the disaster that had occurred with the whole fallout in 2007, 2008, when we saw that there were a lot of people spending billions and trillions of dollars without really looking behind the curtain. It was the Wizard of Oz on steroids. So when we also heard about blockchain, it was like more of the same, but, but on, not on steroids, on steroids amped up. There's nothing there. They're talking about some kind of way without regulators. Wait a second. We're just trying to get our regulators' hands around this whole collapse of the entire world financial system. And they're telling us that blockchain is gonna replace the world financial system or be a parallel world financial system. We better start looking at it. And nobody has really done a lot of, they've done some looking at it, but nobody's really taken up the regulator's cudgel on blockchain. Now, maybe after Mr. Bankman-Fried's escapade and some of what you talked about, Matt, at the beginning, maybe Congress will be motivated to take a look. You're right. That's true. Unless 
it turns out the bit that uh, blockchain, the whole industry, the crypto space is about to collapse. <laughs> in which mm -hmm. case, it won't be worth their trouble to try and regulate. And, and you know, it's, it's a very real prospect. But Matt, you talked about uh, people being deluded about this. Yeah, I guess there were a few, but I don't think most people were deluded at all. People who are in in the space, there were two kinds of there was two baskets broadly that I'd sort those people into. Some of them were simply money people. And everybody wants to have a business that makes money. And in the whole crypto space, you could actually literally make money, create money out of thin space, air and sell it to people. And there were a lot of people in there who were not remotely technological and not even mildly interested in understanding how it worked. They just observed that if you turned the crank, money could be made and money came out. And, and that, that was just the phrase we use is number go up. These were number go up people. Um, right. and they weren't they weren't deluded. They were captured in money lust, really. Now, another important point I want to make is that the other basket was people with a heavy libertarian libertarian kind of thinking who for them, the big attraction was no regulation. I want to be in a business where nobody can regulate me and nobody can tell me what to do. And I personally have a, a visceral loathing of libertarian thinking, and, and this is no exception to that. I mean, the rule of law is what makes business and capitalism and everything possible. You, you, it's not the natural course of affairs. The natural course of affairs is that the boss man owns everything and sends his hoods to, to, to take what he doesn't have. And we have the good fortune to have, despite the many imperfections of our society, built something where the rule of law more or less generally applies and you can have a business agreement. And if you know the counterparty in your business agreement misbehaves, you can sort that out in a civilized way without having to use a knife or a gun. So, so not so much deluded as opposed to A, greedy and B, libertarian. That's so interesting. That's so interesting. The idea <laughs> that when I hear people who are crypto enthusiasts, that's I'm euphemizing here, let's call them crypto enthusiasts, evangelize to me, they do tout the, the wonders of, oh, and there's no intermediary and there's no government in the way. And I always wonder to myself, it's the same question I ask my kids when they're acting like lunatics. They're mostly pretty rational young people. Why is this good? Why is what you're doing good? What benefit is it? And I, this is what I always wonder about crypto. If I get swindled, is there someone I can go to? Is there a regulator? Is there a governing body? Is there a police? If I go to the police for a crypto problem, they're going to be far more baffled than I. And that is a problem. So, I, I mean, I guess that is what I wanted to ask you. It, it does feel like there's this great scene in the movie Office Space where they're asking an office employee, what is it you'd say you do here? And what comes through so clearly in your blog post about this is you ask the question, well, what useful thing does this do? And it sounds like for some people, they were sort of, it, it's not like they knew it was a con, it's that they got that it was almost like a marketing label that you had to have something to do with blockchain at that time. You had to be kind of in it. And it, it seemed like a way of attracting money. Like if you wanted to sell iced tea, you'd tell prospective funders that it was enabled by blockchain and then the VCs would be interested in it. And then there was another group of people who really were in on the con. They really were true believers, except to them, it's like the Seinfeld principle. It wasn't a lie because they really believed it. Well, let me tell you about our trip to New York. Please. Because I think it, it sort of tells the story here. So as I said, we were poked around after Andy asked our opinion, and we got this really white hot reaction from New York saying, yes, we're in the same, same boat. We're talking to these blockchain people all the time, every day. So we went down there. 
uh this would be in the summer of 2016 it was stinking hot oh my gosh and we we're subwaying and taxiing around new york and sweating like pigs and so we talked to two groups of people we talked to a bunch of the big players inside the financial industry there's this outfit called dtcc that nobody's ever heard of that actually sort of operates the stock markets and you, you buy and sell anything and you don't actually interact with that person you interact through three levels of intermediaries with dtcc that really has all the stocks and really just has a big ledger, if you will, saying who has them. And obviously, you can bet the blockchain people have been there pitching these guys and, and their, their reaction was, well, it sounds great, but we can't quite figure it out. So we talked to a few parties like that, and they mostly had guarded enthusiasm for the whole crypto space. And then we talked to a bunch of startups. And, and, and the one startup sort of at the center of the story, I, I can't remember their name, but they were in a fashionable district in, in lower Manhattan with these ultra cool brick offices and, and so on. And they told me, these guys are a serious investment. They were talking about billions here. And I said, oh, you mean the valuation was billions? And they said, no, no, the investment was billions. We're talking about investment denominated with a B at the front. And so we went and visited them. And they were great, they're such smart people. And they had in fact built a bunch of systems for people with, with blockchain in it and so on. And they gave very impre impressive presentation about how great their stuff was. And the C their CTO was there. And one of us, not me, finally looked in between the eyes and said, okay, all this great stuff you built, is there any of it that wouldn't have worked without blockchain? Silence fell for a minute and he says, no, not really. And I think that was kind of the breaking point for, for, for all of us. You can throw an infinite number of m amount of money at the problem and you can be talking to the people with the most money in the world who have the big problems and no, there's, there's not, not really anything there. So we were kind of done at that point and we went back. I can't remember exactly how we broke the news to Andy, but you know, AWS did not in fact make any big strategic investments. At the end of the day, blockchain gives you ownership of these magic beans, these conceptual objects you know, called cryptocurrencies. And if you look at the history of human behavior in business, the notion of ownership seems to be joined at the hip with disputes over ownership. Is there anything more human than disputes over the ownership of things? And that's essentially why we have a court system. A huge proportion of business litigation comes down to it at the end of the day is who actually owns these things, these shares, these assets, this real estate, that kind of thing. And so you're going to have a new paradigm for ownership that doesn't include a court system. You just can't see it. So, so you visited New York, you took a shower, you came back home, you talked about what you'd found with all the smart minds at AWS. You reported to Andy, well, we're not sure that there's really a whole lot of there there. And ultimately, AWS didn't invest billions and trillions into the technology. But I, if I picked up correctly from your blog, you did some work on blockchain for and with AWS, at least while you were there. And the question arises, we've, some people, our, our listeners may have heard of the term NFT, non-fungible token, great acronym for, for yes, this is vaporware, but it, it's, it's, we're going to give it value, value. And there is a thread running through your blog and, and out there in the tech world that Tim Bray invented NFTs. Is that the um, truth, Tim Bray? So, we, so we're engineers, right? We, we are technologists, engineers. And so we didn't just go back to Andy and say, there's no there there. 
we said, okay, suppose hypothetically we did that we did decide to do a big investment in this space. So what could we build? And so we came forward with three sort of design sketches for things that AWS would build that would be based on ledger technology. We did not assume that it was actually a blockchain style ledger that was ownerless and permissionless and, and federated. Maybe it would be a more conventional conventional ledger. But so one of the things that I, I in particular proposed was this thing based on a ledger where you would optimize for buying and selling objects which would be identified by URLs and would have metadata associated with them saying what they actually were. And it's not that hard a problem to solve if you assume ledger technology. And well, yeah, that's sort of kind of what NFTs are. NFTs mm -hmm. are things on the blockchain with a URL and you own them and you have some sort of never quite defined rights with respect to that URL and you don't control what's at the end of that URL and, and what, what it might be. And in fact, there's already lots of disputes about that, which go nowhere since there's no system available to those people. Anyhow, so that proposal might've been useful. I don't know. I was working on other stuff at the time. So when nobody jumped at it, like my heart wasn't broken, it, it wouldn't have been NFTs. It would have been something with, with presumably real business relevance and a, and a, and a well-defined metadata vocabulary around it that would make it useful. But I, I'm sure the people who did invent NFTs didn't read my paper. <laughs> All right. Was, All right. Here's, here's what, what I'm hearing here. Here's what I'm hearing. I'm going to give my verdict on this. The answer is that conceptually, yes, you did. But morally, you do not want to accept the, the <laughs> responsibility for having brought so many useless, bored apes to the world. This this could be like a Newton-Leibniz invention of calculus moment, except for something that's truly stupid and worthless in the world, except your version would have been useful and smart. So I'm going to give you, yes, you had the same idea. You just had the wit to realize, eh, this application of it, why, why? I guess I guess I could have, if I'd been passionately convinced that it was great, I could have gone to our internally and applied pressure to people to build the thing, and I and I didn't do that. So there's my excuse, my own. <laughs> yeah. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. You have another great story that you tell in your post. You talked a little bit about a subsequent conversation you had about boundary markers. It shows exactly how hazy but compelling sounding use case for blockchain becomes after a little bit of thought, sort of nothing, or at least you were able to drill down into, you don't have a technology problem. You have a more fundamental kind of political human nature problem. What was that story? So what happened was, so this is oh, sometime months and months after the, the New York strip and, and that stuff, I got a call out of the blue from somebody senior in sales saying, look, we've got a VIP customer coming for briefings at our executive center in Seattle. And they really want to talk about blockchain. And they tell me that you're the person to talk to. So could, could you, cause I was working out of Vancouver and I'm not in Seattle. So, so I came down and this is, I can't really name names here because this was while I was still an AWS employee, but it was a, a, a large and well-respected international organization headquartered in Europe. And they, I don't actually know if they were major AWS customers or they were just looking to become one, but they were important enough to get a couple of days reserved space in the executive briefing center with lots of product groups to come in and talk to them and so on. So I went in there and briefed the, the salesperson in advance saying, we really don't think there's a there there and we're not doing anything. So my turn came to present and I, I sort of introduced how the technology worked and why it was technically interesting and emphasized that it was still unproven in practice. And so then their CTO looks at me, beautifully elegant, 
polished European gentleman in a beautiful suit and says, well, here's something I've been thinking about. In one of our third world operations, it's an area of the world where it's small farms mostly, and they get flooding, annual flooding. And of course, they're all very careful to put up boundary markers to mark their properties. And sometimes those are destroyed by the flood. And what happens is that the big landowners and the money lenders come in and say, well, you can't show me you know, where your boundary is, so I'm just going to steal a little bit of your land here and encroach on you. And that's bad, obviously. And so this European gentleman says to me, well, but if that were recorded on the blockchain, they wouldn't be able to do that, would they? So, so I thought about it in a minute, for a minute, and, and first thing I said was, as a technologist, I tend to be worried and skeptical when people propose technology solutions to political problems, because we're not the right people to be making those kinds of calls. And we have professional politicians whose job that is. And then also, well, how's this going to be enforced? Well, of course, it's going to be enforced by the court. And if the landowners can get away with moving boundary stones now, they can probably get away with influencing the court at the end of the day too. So how really is this going to improve the lot of those people? I mean, having a good land registry, it seems like a fine idea, but it's not obvious at all why having a well-regulated land registry, such as we have here in Canada and the States, is going to be improved by blockchain. And then I said, and a lot of senior technologists see this as a, as a solution looking for a problem. And that was the end of that conversation. But that is, that is, is typical, the kind of conversations you have. People who are not inside the blockchain community, who are being pitched of sounding solutions like that. I want to actually dig a little bit deeper into something we touched on earlier. And it's not overly technical, but but as we sit here today, I just heard on the news that the emissions in the United States this year went up by 6% after dropping due to COVID and the lack of industrial production, which hardly puts us on the correct path towards zero by 2050. And as I mentioned before, I served in Congress and we take a look at all kinds of of things that stupid investments, but and it strikes me that we're dealing with a with the Bitcoin proof of waste system that requires gar generally gargantuan amount of electricity. Sometimes for for Bitcoin mining, and I've been doing some work in the renewable energy field and looking at the kind of solar fields necessary to power Bitcoin mining, you, you need thousands and thousands of acres of solar panels to really deal with Bitcoin mining. It's, it's, it's almost unimaginable. So you have potentially stupid investments and this kind of obnoxious technology, which is using all this electricity. We, we know that Ethereum, a competing block technology, uses a different system called proof of stake, it uses a fraction of energy resources. And the question I have is, if the cryptocurrency sector can solve the energy resource problem, does that make the sector more promising or merely just less obnoxious? Well, I would clearly be in a less obnoxious camp. And I, I Credit to the Ethereum people for having done that. A lot of people, including me, were skeptical that that was even possible. And at the end of the day, there's two problems. One is the, the continuing lack of evidence that it does anything useful. And then the fact that the, the technology, interesting though it is, is not very performant. The, the worldwide Bitcoin network runs maybe eight or nine transactions a second. Now, any 
sane business person can say, well, what could I use that for? Nothing. And Ethereum's faster. I haven't actually seen where it settled post uh, the transition to, to proof of stake, but it's still laughably slow compared to the kinds of systems we built at AWS, which were cheerfully handling millions of transactions hmm. a, a second. It's still possible to to believe that there is a role for a digital currency and, and that could be a useful thing. And I can believe that. I, it, it, it seems a bit superfluous. It's, I hardly ever have cash in my wallet anymore. I got a piece of plastic around. Mm -hmm. I do more or less 100% of my spending these days. So, so how would that digital currency be different? Not clear at all. But I'm, I'm pretty well 100% convinced, convinced that should there be a digital currency, I would like to have it regulated you know, by locally elected government or and worldwide banking regulation federations and that kind of thing. I, I don't think any of the libertarian arguments make the slightest amount of sense. So let me see if I can sum up where we've landed toward the end of, of, of your whole story. What we set out to do, and I think what you were setting out to relate here was you undertook a search started by one of the, the, biggest tech business leaders as a company and as an individual that we have. And you undertook as serious a search as anyone can. You simply cannot get better access within Wall Street circles than the kind of access you had. You obviously are a very high level technologist. And so you understood all of the underlying, you, you know the math, you know the engineering. And so, and you obviously understand the business side. You're an entrepreneur yourself. You've led major companies on your own. And so there's really that confluence that, that, that came together in you and in this project. Really, you can't imagine a better combination. And in your search, you came up completely empty. And so what we're left with is, and you made the observation that there are many among Amazon's senior engineers, you said this a moment ago, who think that blockchain and cryptocurrencies and everything in this orbit is a solution looking for a problem. We know that there are some current uses for crypto and blockchain, but they mostly seem to be for Ponzi scheme-like investment scams or for enabling illicit transactions to support criminal activity or for just kind of making businesses sound more sophisticated to venture capitalists. It's either some things that are bad, that are cheating people, or that are sort of useless. So now several years have gone by since this project, you remain a keen observer of this space. In all of your searching and observations since that time, have you ever found a good, positive, beneficial use for this technology where you can only do something because of blockchain? And do you think there ever will be one in the future? I'm not gonna say never. There are, if you look around my profession, the whole IT space, there are lots of little fringe corners of, of places where they apply exotic technologies to small, well-understood problems that don't occur anywhere else. And, and that, that's okay. It would not shock me terribly if something came along where you could build a little Ethereum marketplace around something and it would, it would work fine. There is, with the explosion of distributed 
social networks, given that Facebook is losing its charm and Elon may be driving Twitter into the side of the mountain, there, there's, an, there's an outburst of interest in decentralized social networks. You hear things like Mastodon and so on being, being talked about. So the question at that point becomes, how do you construct a portable identity that you can yeah. use? Well, I've heard proposals that don't sound 100% crazy that you might find a blockchain useful in doing that in particular because you don't change your identity very often. So the fact that it's slow doesn't matter. But look, I'm an old guy. I've seen wave after wave of technology come through the profession. The PC, the internet, the web, public cloud, these kind of things. And every single time when something new and important comes in, what you observe is that before the CTO and the VP technology and so on even find out about it, the the, the, the actual journeyman geeks are loading it in the back door and putting it to use because it works and does useful stuff. Hmm. That was 100% true about the PC, 100% true about the web, 100% true about the public cloud. In the area of blockchain, zero. That doesn't happen. So, you know, that, that, that for me is kind of the, the leading readout that convinces me that if blockchain were going to change the world, it would have done so by now. Tim Bray, thanks no, so no, much. No. Oh, no, no. oh no, you have a postscript. Because we haven't talked about Andy's giveaway. Oh, you know, tell us about Andy's giveaway. Okay, so here's the thing is Andy Jassy at this point is by a wide margin, the world's most successful seller of IT technology, right? AWS has come from nowhere, it's turned into an $80 billion a year business with like 30% operating margins and 30% growth a year. I mean, this is an epical business story. And Andy spends like a huge amount of his time talking to the most technically sophisticated people at the world's most progressive and successful companies who are moving to the public cloud. There is probably nobody in the world who gets more exposure to technology opportunities and where technology can be applied to make businesses run better and do things they couldn't do before and run more efficiently and so on. He's not a technologist, but he's a smart guy and he knows a lot about business. And at the, in our very first conversation, he says, these people explain it to me and explain it to me and I can't see it. So if Andy Jassy can't see the business advantage, is it even worth looking at the technology? Was our, was our effort really sort of doomed to failure from the very start given that, 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 and I think, yeah, I absolutely think, yeah. I think if Andy can't see it, it's not there. That's a massive compliment that you received in the form of this whole project that he handed off to you because Andy Jassy is thinking to himself, I can't see this. Who are the people I trust just to brain check me, just to make sure that there's not something I'm missing? And he trusted you, which says something fantastic about you. Absolutely fascinating insights there. And thank you for making sure that I did not leave our audience dangling. Tim Bray, thanks so much for taking us through this and for confirming my prior suspicions that this is all vapor. We really appreciate it. Well, been a pleasure.